And let's continue in worship by taking our Bibles and turning to the sixth chapter of Acts. If you've been with us for a while, we're interrupting our series through Genesis, our, gen- our journey through the book of Genesis, which has really been interesting and very enlightening. So if you're visiting with us today, please come. Come back. Next Sunday, we'll be in Genesis 19 as we continue uh, the story of In the Beginning. But this morning is a special day. We, uh, the church has set aside, set apart six men to serve as deacons for this coming year, uh, for the next three years, excuse me, three-year terms. Larry Davis, John Matthews, Dan Habriel, Chris Gilliver, Zach Pratt, and Kevin Woosley. Zach and Chris and Kevin uh, met with an ordination council Tuesday night, and they were unanimously approved to be ordained this morning into the office of deacon. So it is with great excitement and celebration that we come this morning. Uh, We pray that this will be a big day in the life of these men. Chris and his wife Angie, Kevin and his wife Julie, and Zach and his wife Allison are here sitting in the front this morning. And although the, the sermon will be directed toward them and toward deacon ordination, I want all of us to listen this morning because there's a great word for us from Acts chapter 6 about our church about service, and about ministry. Let me read for you the passage this morning. Acts chapter 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, Taman, Parmenas, 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 and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the passage we have before our consideration this morning. God, we thank you first that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, God, that it would have the freedom to do its work in each of our hearts today, to penetrate our heart, Father, to open our eyes to truth, Lord, to spur us on to godly living, Lord, ultimately just to draw us closer to yourself. We know it is the Word of God, but you are the God of this Word. So, God, we pray that we would come to know you more intimately this morning. We thank you, Father, for uh, the privilege of, of serving you and your kingdom. Thank you for these men who have been set aside by Alberta Baptist Church to serve in this way. But, God, we pray that you speak to each of our hearts this morning. Father, may we hear your message. May we see what a life of service is all about. And, God, how you've called us to flee from ourselves, our own world, and to pursue you, your service, your kingdom, for your glory. 
For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to borrow a phrase, really I stole it, from uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie. And I entitled the message, The Potential in Every Problem. Lloyd John Ogilvie, not Major Ogilvie for all you Alabama fans, but Lloyd John Ogilvie had a commentary on the book of Acts. And uh, this is when he came to chapter 6, there was a problem. Can you believe it? That there would be a problem in the church? Yes. <laughs> you know, there, there are oftentimes, there are situations, issues that come up in the church and cause problems. But you know what the problem was? They were growing. They were growing. The gospel was spreading. The church was growing. And as a result of growth, there was an issue. I, I love the simplicity of Sally Lloyd-Jones in her Jesus Storybook Bible. In Acts chapter 6, she says this, Many people believed and became Jesus' new friends and helpers. And the wonderful news of Jesus spread like sparks from a fire. To villages, to towns, cities, every day more and more people believed. And so it was that the family of God's children, His special people, grew. End quote. I love the simplicity of that. As the gospel spread, many people became, joined the family of God's children. They became friends of Jesus and His helpers. What do we see there? They became friends of Jesus. They know God. They became a part of the family of God. They learned to live in community. They became his helpers. What are they doing? They're living on mission. Isn't that what we're all about? Or supposed to be all about. <laughs> That's what we want to be all about, isn't it? To know God, to find community, and to live on mission. But as a result of this growth, sure, there was purpose, but also there was a problem. There was division. See, what they began to realize is that when you live in a family, there's going to be conflict. See, the church is a family. We're a family. And every family has problems. Now, you can sit, me, I mean, sit and look at me and stare at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I don't have any problems. Yes, you do. We all have problems. Every family has problems. We all have issues. Some are more dysfunctional than others, yes. But every family has a problem. And so it is with the church. The church had problems. The, pro the source of the problem was uh, this unexpected and new growth. But I want you to know that as they became the family of God's children, living in a family can be trying at times. There will be problems. No family is perfect. As we read in Acts chapter 6, so many people say, I want to join a New Testament church. Great. But it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. The church has never been perfect because it's always consisted of people. And none of us are perfect. The New Testament church was not perfect. It had problems. It's a lot like our church today. A church made up of flawed people, broken people. We say many times we're all broken, just broken in different ways. There's a thousand ways to be broken, only one way to be healed, and that's through Jesus. But the church is made up of flawed people who knew what it means was like to have problems, petty attitudes, and differing opinions. <laughs> Almost sounds like a church on any corner today, doesn't it? Petty attitudes, differing opinions, and problems. 
Well, that's what's going on in Acts chapter 6. There are no perfect churches. We can call a new pastor or pastors. <laughs> we can change locations. We can elect new deacons. We can construct new buildings. But we still will not have a perfect church. Why? Because we're family. And families have problems. We're made up of people. People. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. Let me just remind you, I say this often, but you know, you don't belong to the church. You are the church. The church. I loved, I pastored in 11 years at Sylacauga, Alabama, First Baptist Church, and on the church sign, it says, this is where the church of First Baptist gathers. We're the church. This is where we gather. If we gather here, that's great. If we gather at the river market, that's great. If we gather wherever, we're the church. That's where we gather. We come together. This new church of less than perfect people was experiencing tremendous growth. As the church grew, growth created problems. I want us to see ourselves this morning in this passage. You know, we had a year ago an opportunity for two congregations to become one. In Acts chapter 6, we have two people, the Hellenistic Jews and the National Jews who are coming together. The nationalistic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews were from two different backgrounds, two different types of culture, but yet they were coming together. And because of that, there was an issue. I want you to know that this morning, as two churches, Open Door Baptist and Alberta Baptist Church, have come together. I mean, there's a message in, all, in this for all of us. And now from my perspective, it's been amazingly smooth. It's been wonderful. I want you to know right now, there are six churches that I know of, four of whom have talked to me personally about merging. How do we do that? Six churches, not just here in Tuscaloosa, but around the state of Alabama. A guy called me from South Alabama. said, I want to know what y'all did. How did you do that? That's a great idea. You know how we did that? God did it, but it's because of you and your response, the way you have been mature in handling every change, every situation. Not perfectly, because there are no perfect people. But I want you to know that Alberta Baptist Church is being, a, is being a testimony, not just to this city, but to this state and hopefully to the nation. How can two people become one? Well, that was the issue here in Acts chapter 6. You know, things have gone well. But let me tell you, we have to stay on our guard, don't we? Therefore, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Satan is a thief who comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. So in Acts 6, we don't see two congregations merging, but we see two different groups of people coming together. As a result, there were problems. One translation said, when the membership was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. Now, I love the word murmur. It's an onomatopoeia. What is it? Onomatopoeia. That's easy for you to say. The sound describes its meaning. Murmur. Murmur, murmur. Hey, say that with me three times. Murmur, 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 murmur. That's exactly what happens in the church, isn't it? That's what it sounds like. Murmuring, murmur, 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 murmur. As the membership multiplied, there was murmuring among its members. How's that, how's that for alliteration? But that's exactly what was going on. As the church grew, it created problems. 
What were the reasons for the problems? Let's look in Acts chapter 6, 1 and 2. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Two groups became one group in large numbers. As I said, the Hellenistic Jews were Jews who spoke Greek as their basic language and had been influenced by the Greek culture. We were going to call those guys the liberals, okay? If you know anything about the Greek culture, it's a very liberal culture. Then there was the natural Jews or the nationalistic Jews. They were the native Hebrews. They spoke Aramaic. Uh, They had grown up in Palestine. They were Hebrews in every way. They were strict adherents to the law. We're going to call those the what? Conservatives. I I love what Evie Hill always says. He's in the church. You got the right wing and the left wing. He said, I'm not worried about the right wing or the left wing. It's a bird I'm worried about. But in this, in this congregation, you got the liberal Hellenistic Jews. You've got the conservative nationalistic Jews. And they were going to come together in a church. Hey, this is, this is impossible. I mean, this is difficult. Their very culture separated them. And yet, because of Christ, because of the gospel, it didn't matter about all the historical cultural tension. They were coming together to be one. But it's interesting, a little issue arose. And I want you to know that before the church exploded, it had the potential to implode. This problem had the potential to destroy or at least divide the church in a very negative way. What was the issue? Food. Don't tell me they weren't Baptists. <laughs> Food from the very beginning. Our widows are not being cared for. They're not being served. The Greek-speaking Jewish believers felt that their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. So in the midst of all the growth, some people were being neglected. Growth creates challenges. See, when we come together, two groups, two churches, they're going to be differing opinions. They're going to be, you know, I won't go through the list, but you know what they are. People have different opinions about worship. From music to dress to time to all kinds of things. There's so many potential issues that can divide us. And here in the early church, it was simply food. (laughs) The widows weren't being served. You know, again, think about all the things that happen in a church. All the potential for problems. All the situations or issues that come up on a weekly basis, if not daily basis, that are there to divide us. Let me remind you, Satan cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, how do we respond when problems come up in the church? There's several ways to respond to problems in the church. We can overreact to the problem. I think when we overreact, we say, you know, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to leave the family. You know, if we understand the concept of family, you don't just leave family. Now, again, there, there are legitimate times, I think, when people need to change churches. And you've done that, that's fine. But to overreact and say, you know, I'm just not going to go back there anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. People will resent the problem, resent it. They stay in the church, but this resentment begins to build up. And as my granny used to say, it just festers. You know, you know bitterness is a match that only burns the one who holds it. And there are a lot of bitter people in church. 
And they've just kind of built up resentment over the years, over particular issues, toward particular people. I mean, bitterness is a very real situation, condition in the church. We can ignore the problem. Just kind of act like it doesn't exist. Just get used to it. Just get used to the dysfunction. I love the story of two college students one time at a Northeastern college. They were going to go steal the mascot of their rival. And their mascot was a goat. So they had a plan together. They're going to steal this goat and they're going to keep the goat in their dorm room. So one of his friends said, well, what about the smell? And they said, well, the goat would just have to get used to it. You know, that's the way we, we learn how to just get used to it, don't we? We just ignore the problem. Now, Teresa knows me better than anybody here, and that's who I am. I like to ignore problems. I just hope it'll go away. I'll go five miles to avoid confrontation. But in my 58 years, I've learned that you can't solve problems by ignoring them. There comes a time when we have to communicate. We have to face our problems. You know, one of the things that I'm impressed with in this passage of Scripture is that the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, you know, we've got a job to do. They didn't become defensive. They didn't say, that's your problem. Or they didn't say, that's not a problem at all. They said, you know, we got a problem and we need to deal with it. We need to face it head on. And church, that's the way mature congregations handle disagreements, isn't it? We face them head on. We don't become resentful. We don't become... We don't overreact, and we don't just ignore it. We say, you know, we got a problem. Let's talk about it. Here's the deal. This problem became a blessing because of the way it was handled. This problem, the potential, came out of a problem. Out of this, cha- out of this challenge, a group of men were selected to serve the church in a, in a unique way. There's a potential blessing in every problem when we handle it the proper way. There's potential in every issue that could possibly divide us. There's a potential for good, and there's a potential for bad. The key is how we handle it. See, the key for the church is to have diversity without having division. There's a big difference. We can have diversity. We can have differing opinions about things without being divided. Without being divided. We can confront it head on. Even times we can come, they're, they're always said there are matters of peace and purity in the church. The matters of peace are where we say, you know, I think we ought to do this. I think we ought to do this. And, but you know what? We're going to agree to disagree. We're going to still love each other. And for the sake of the gospel, we're going to, we're going to love each other. For the sake of the gospel, we're going to get along and we're going to have harmony without unison. We're going to, we're going to live together. If we all sang the same note, it wouldn't sound very good. I see Jennifer sitting back here this morning. Bless her heart. We love you, Jennifer. And she does such a great job with our music. But I'm not a musician. I can't sing. The only way I, you know, I sing tenor, 10 or 12 miles down the road. Pretty good. <laughs> but if we all sang the same note, it, would be, it wouldn't be good. But I know when harmony. I went to Dave Kitchen's mother's funeral the other day, and they grew up without instruments. And they all sang harmony in that funeral service. Church, it was like heaven to hear men, the basses, and the women, and all the Harmony. We can have diversity without division. We don't have to all have the same opinion. But we're all here for the same cause. As Brother Kobe read a while ago, one spirit, one mind, one purpose. Matters of peace and purity. Matters of peace are when we lay aside our personal preferences for the good of the gospel. Matters of purity are where we hold fast to our scriptural convictions 
for the good of the gospel. Now, there's some things we ought to get upset about. Those are the matters of purity. When the church begins to compromise, somebody ought to say something. When we begin to err away from the scripture or doctrine, somebody ought to say something. And if you don't, you're wrong, (laughs) okay? Matters of purity, we need to keep the gospel pure. It's interesting how they handled it. For the good of the church, the good of the church required that the apostles devote themselves to preaching and prayer. If they'd have done otherwise, the church would have suffered. So there was a problem. How we handle problems is a key to effectiveness. What are the requirements of those who serve in the church? We see this in verse 3. The problem was there were some widows who weren't being served. What are we going to do? We're going to select some men to handle the problem. What are the requirements? Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The church has already selected these men. They have voted on these men as we go through our process, and they have set them aside. They have affirmed or confirmed them before the church that these men, we have observed them. And that's the, the qualifications here. We see from very simple qualifications here. For more detail, we can go to 1 Timothy 3, but for the sake of time, we won't this morning. But in verse 3, he says, select men from among you. Again, they were to be a part of the fellowship. Why is that important? Because these men have been tested. Their lives have been observed. They haven't served from a a far or at a distance. People in Alberta Baptist Church have watched these men. They've observed these men. And they came, they come from among us. They're one of us. Are they perfect? No, because they're one of us. But yet, because of their heart, because of their lifestyle, they've been selected to serve as deacons. Men from among you, men of good reputation. Again, the root, Greek work, uh, root word there is martus. When we get the word martyr, a good witness. What is their reputation? The apostle said they need to have a good reputation. Be a good witness. They are men of integrity. There was a, years ago, there was a guy named Henry Clay who was a perennial candidate for the presidency. He never won. In one particular campaign, his advisor said, Mr. Clay, if you take the stance on this particular issue, you will never be elected president. He said, I believe this is the right thing to do, and I would rather be right than be president. Men of character, men of integrity, men who will do the right thing regardless of what everybody else is doing, who will do the right thing regardless of what everybody else is saying. Men of good reputation, men of integrity, men full of the Spirit. Notice that in verse 3. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. To be full of the Spirit, this is the ultimate qualification. They must be Spirit-filled. Now let me ask you, why do you need to be Spirit-filled to wait on tables? I thought that was a pretty good question. Why do you need to be Spirit-filled to wait on tables? Because, see, all the kingdom work is spiritual work. All kingdom work, regardless of the task, how menial the task may be, all the kingdom work is spiritual work because of our motivation. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But all the kingdom work is spiritual work. It's done for the glory of Christ and for the good of the gospel. Men full of the Holy Spirit, men full of wisdom. The test of being spirit-filled would be the gift of wisdom. What is wisdom? We've studied Proverbs years ago, and 
Proverbs says that wisdom is simply skillful living. To learn to discern the temporary from the eternal. That's true wisdom. Men full of wisdom who can discern the temporary from the eternal. They know what really matters. All of church work is ministry. Ministry is allowing God to use us to meet his needs. So that was the, those were the requirements. What role did these servants play in the church? He says in verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The first role of the first deacons were, was to be a protector. A protector. Now, who were they protecting? Who were they protecting? The apostles. They said, you take care of this task. You wait on tables. We're going to devote ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Let me tell you, if they had done otherwise, the church would have suffered greatly. But yet there were seven men who were selected to protect the time of the apostles so they could devote themselves to the word of God and prayer. Pastor Colby and I, Pastor Jared, and Pastor Kyle, with all of us, devoting ourselves to the word of God, devoting ourselves to the word of God and prayer. This is a convicting message to us, isn't it? That's where we need to be spending our time. In the word of God, in prayer, these men were selected so that they could protect the apostles. Secondly, they were peacemakers. Their service to the church created peace for the church. They put out a fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been Southern Baptist all my life. I was being a pew. I went to, you know, started going to church nine months before I was born. But it's always been in a Baptist church. But I've heard some wild stories about deacons meetings all my life. I've heard stories about deacons meeting and arguing and fussing and all this stuff. But let me tell you, deacons were set, selected to put out fires, not create them. To be peacemakers. There was a problem in the church, and so men were selected to take care of the problem. Now, deacons, they're going to be people who will come to you with problems. And you can do one of two things. You can take care of it, or you can make it worse. Simple as that. Now, again, they're not, not, I'm not saying there are not some valid criticisms that come that need to be brought to the attention of the leadership of the church. But most of the time, there's an opportunity for you to be a peacemaker, to handle a situation, to take care of the church. This problem had potential for good or disaster. Every problem has that potential. By God's grace, something good came out of this. So they were protectors. They were peacemakers. They were participants. Deacons lead by participation, not by position. We don't have a board of deacons. We have a body of deacons. A body who serves. A body who functions. A body who participates in the ministry of the church. And that's why these men were set apart. Because they were full of the spirit. They were full of wisdom. They had good reputation. And they were involved in the ministry. From among you, they were participating already. We're called to serve the church for the glory. Again, you're an example for our congregation of what it means to know God, find community, and live on mission. As Sally Lloyd-Jones would say, to be Jesus' friend, <laughs> to be Jesus' helper, 
and to live in the family of God. That's as simple as I can put it. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. These seven men were set before the apostles. And after they laid hands on them, they prayed for them. Let me tell you, nowhere in this passage they call them deacons. But twice the Greek word for service is diakonos, which was used in this passage. But however, since 195 A.D., this passage has been considered to be the birth of deacon ministry in the church. All seven of these men, because of their names, seem to be Hellenistic Jews. The service of the widows was turned over to a select group from the very ones who were doing the murmuring. <laughs> but they took care of a problem. These spiritual men went to work and disaster was avoided. Quickly, the fourth thing. What was the result of their service in the church? Verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. We see a couple of things. The word of God kept on spreading because these men were waiting on tables. Waiting on tables. What does that tell us? That no service is insignificant in the body of Christ. Everybody has a role to play. And again, that's why our message this morning is to the church. All Christians, all believers have spiritual gifts. You can see that in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12. We see that where we are all given spiritual gifts to serve in the body. And no service is inconsequential. There are no small services in the kingdom. Waiting on tables enabled the church to grow, began to spread. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples increased. Whenever we're doing what God's called us to do, those who know God and find community and live on mission will begin to increase in great numbers. And even, the scripture says, the priests, many of the priests, a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, I don't want to be ugly here, but as I read that, it just, you know, when a church is doing what it ought to be doing, even the hard-headed religious nuts can be cracked. There's something about love. There's something about genuineness. There's something about humility. There's something about genuine service that can crack the hardest nuts in the community. When we're being the church that God wants us to be, great things can happen. So I want to close. What does real service for Christ look like in the church? Just a couple statements, nothing profound, but just simple. We serve because we have a new heart. See, knowing Jesus through the gospel changes our heart. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It is not natural for us to want to serve other people. By nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're self-serving. But when we hear the gospel, when we understand that God became a man and died for us and gave his life for us, and, and he said in his own words, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When we understand the gospel, we receive the gospel, we believe the gospel, we have a new heart and our perspective changes. This morning, the greatest need of your life is to know Christ and the one who can change your heart, who can wipe the slate clean. If any man be in Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away. We have a new heart. We have forgiveness. We have God's grace by, the, by his grace, by his mercy. We serve because we have a new heart. Changes our focus. We serve for the sake of Jesus and not our own. Because we're Christians, we no longer belong to ourselves. 
Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves, your servants for Christ's sake. Our whole entire focus, again, is changed. It's for the glory of Christ, not our own glory. It's not so people can pat us on the back, but it's so people can come to know Jesus. Is what li- and that's what life is all about. It's knowing Christ. True service involves when we serve with purpose. We empty ourselves and are filled with God's spirit. Uh, Colby read a while ago that Christ emptied himself. And at the end of that passage, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our purpose. To serve with purpose is to serve for the glory of God. And that's why I put in this last statement. Serving without Jesus may do temporary good, but ultimately has no eternal impact. May do temporary good. I'm not saying there's a lot of good things going on out there. And that's fine. But for eternal impact, we must serve through the gospel for the glory of God. To see lives changed for eternity. To see lives changed forever. We have to do what we do for the glory of God. And it does not matter how insignificant it may appear. Jesus said this, and I'll close. If we give even a cup of cold water in his name, we will in no wise lose our reward. That's how significant it is to be serving in the name of Jesus. These men have been set apart as deacons. These men are entering into a new opportunity, a new mission. They can know God, find community, live on mission. And their mission is to become, to serve Alberta Baptist Church as deacons. And your ordination today means that you are set apart as a deacon for life. A deacon for life. Unless you serve, prove yourself to be unworthy at some time and you're brought before the church and your ordination is revoked, you will serve as a deacon for life. For the glory of God. But for you as a church, let me ask you, have you had a changed heart? Has the gospel changed your heart? Do you have a desire to serve serve others for the glory of God? Whether we're feeding the hungry or clothing the naked, even a cup of cold water will not lose its reward.